Father, we believe that in the name of Jesus, that we can receive forgiveness for our sin. The name of Jesus is the power of resurrection, the power of life. And Lord, today I pray that You would speak to us of this power. You would speak to us of this life of redeeming grace, amazing grace that we have sung about. And Father, that You would be glorified. That You would grab a hold of our lives and that You would transform us. You would grab a hold of our church and You would bring new life and renewal in ways that we can't even imagine. So come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit and minister and speak to us in these moments. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Do you have a favorite movie romance? A favorite movie relationship? Well, how about Forrest and Jenny? Remember the story of Forrest and Jenny? Forrest was a simple man, but as he would tell us, Jenny, I may be a simple man, but I know what love is, right? And Forrest loved Jenny. Ever since they were school-age uh, friends and, and neighbors, they, he had this crush on her and loved her all through his life. And we know that Forrest had challenges with life. He was, like I said, a simple boy and a simple man. But his mom loved him dearly. And his mom assured Forrest that he could do and become whatever he wanted to. And of course, the charming part of this movie is that, that everything that Forrest did turned out to be gold. He was told to run, right, when trouble comes. And by running, he would just run right into the next great thing of life. But his heart was always committed and devoted to Jenny. Jenny, on the other hand, her home life was, was the opposite of, of, of Forrest's. We discover as we go through the movie that in Jenny's home life, there was, there was a, a tough relationship with her father, apparently abusive to her in, in, in many different ways. And so as she grew up, she began to seek acceptance and a blessing, began to pursue that through drugs and alcohol to numb the pain of life, and, and then to begin to pursue acceptance in, in all the different ways that she could and that the world would offer and one of the powerful moments in that story is when she comes home after a long period of being away, and her and Forrest had kind of gone their ways, and, and, and Forrest had experienced all the successes of life, and Jenny all the struggles and hurts and pains of life, and they came back together. And Forrest said, well, she just slept. She was exhausted. She was tired. She was broken. And one afternoon, they're out on a walk, and they come across her old homestead and the old abandoned house was there and you could just watch as, as all the, the abuse, all the, the hatred that she felt that she'd stuffed down for years began to, to well up and began to erupt out of her emotions, out of her body and she physically began to throw her shoes at the house and then any rock that she could find, she, she would pick up and she would throw at the house in anger and hatred and releasing all of that breaking windows, until finally she just collapsed in that anger, in that emotion of the moment. And as Forrest came over beside her, he simply said, sometimes there's just not enough rocks. Have you been there? Have you been there where the hurt against you has been so great 
You've, maybe you've, you've stuffed it down for years, or, or maybe the, the experience has been so great of pain and of, of hurt and of brokenness that, that you couldn't, didn't know what to do, and so what you did was you just started throwing rocks. And you discover in that process that there's never enough rocks to throw because the hurt is always there. And so the question that we have today as we we look at Scripture and we look at the prayers of Scripture is, what do we do when those have come against us? And it could be a loved one. It could be a father or a mother. It could be a spouse, a child, a parent, someone who's come against us and hurt us and broken us in such a devastating way is the only response that we can have to throw rocks or to seek revenge and to return the pain as deep as what we've experienced? Or, or, is there something else? Is there a different response? Is there another way to approach those and to, to experience life with those that have hurt us in a different way? And today we consider the life of Christ and the life of Stephen and, and we begin to understand that there's a different way, there's a radical way, there's a revolutionary way that we can come and react and relate to those who have brought hurt and pain, those who have sinned against us. And that is through the grace of forgiveness. This morning we want to look at, again at the story of Jesus and of Stephen. And it's interesting that those two stories are told, the story of Jesus in the Gospels, but particularly today in the, the story of the Gospel of Luke, and the story of Stephen in the book of Acts. And if we we'll step back and, and know our Bible history, remember our Bible history a little bit, we know that, that Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts. The Gospel of Luke, focusing on what we might call the life and the works of the Son of God, of Jesus, and the book of Acts, focusing on the life and work of the Spirit of God through the birth of the early church. And we've already discovered over the last three weeks how, how Luke is calling us to be a people of prayer. Two weeks ago, we looked at the, the prayer asking God for mercy. And we looked at the sinner as he was praying towards God, and all he could do was pray, God, have mercy on me. And last week we looked at that prayer that Luke would have us to, to, to utter as Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and as he cried, cried out to the Father, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And today we see Jesus on the cross asking not for vengeance, not for the wrath of God to pour down on those who had sinned against him, but rather Jesus crying out for forgiveness. And then we move into the book of Acts. And in a moment we'll see the story of Stephen and how Stephen was one of those first early converts and members of the early church was filled, the scripture tells us, with the Spirit of God and with wisdom and grace. Was ordained as one of the first deacons of the early church. We find him on trial for sharing and believing that Jesus was the Messiah and, and being put to, found guilty of that blasphemy and put to death. And even in that process, Stephen crying out for the forgiveness and grace towards those who were sinning against him. If you would, we'll focus on the Jesus story first. In Luke chapter 23, verse 24, Jesus' prayer of forgiveness is simple. Father, Father, forgive them. 
Jesus on the cross, his body being broken, his body having been whipped and beaten and scourged, his body having been pierced with nails, hanging on a cross, his emotions having suffered the same kind of injustices as, as friends, as his disciples had, had betrayed him and denied him and, and run from him and abandoned him in his greatest moment of need. Jesus, the crowd a few days earlier, hailing him, welcoming him, cheering him as the, the Messiah. And on that day, jeering him, ridiculing him, mocking him, spitting upon him. And Jesus, there on the cross, Father, Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The word, the pronoun, they're them. It doesn't really have a clear antecedent. So the question we have to ask is, who, who's the them that Jesus is asking forgiveness for? Could it be the soldiers? Father, forgive them. Well, certainly the soldiers would have been a part of that them, it seems. The soldiers who had scourged and beaten him. The soldiers who had, had carried him and, and made him carry his cross as far as he could. And the soldiers who had nailed him to that cross and lifted him in that place. The soldiers totally disrespecting his life as right there in front of him as he was dying, gambling for the last Thing that Jesus owned on this earth, a garment. Surely Jesus cried out to the Father to forgive them. Or maybe it was to the thieves. It's interesting that in Matthew's description of the crucifixion, the criminals next to him are both joining the crowd. Both criminals cursing him, both criminals mocking him and making fun of him. Surely Jesus would be crying out, God, forgive these criminals next to me. Or maybe it was the religious leaders, the religious leaders who had, had, had gone about and delivered their injustice and manipulated the system in such a way that Jesus was found guilty of treason as they brought their lying witnesses to testify against Jesus. Religious leaders who denied the truth that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. Surely Jesus was crying out, Father, forgive them. But what about the disciples? We've already mentioned Judas. What about Peter? I'll never deny you, Lord. What about Peter? What about the disciples that scattered? Surely Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. But doesn't it seem that the further and further we get from the cross, that when Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, that maybe He was talking about us. Maybe you and I. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus could have called down justice. He could have called down God's wrath, but instead he offered a prayer of forgiveness to all those who had come against him, to all those who had sinned against him and his father. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 7. We look a little bit more closely at the, the story of Stephen. 
Again, Stephen, a, a, a disciple that was full of grace and truth and wisdom, and, and it was testifying against, or it was testifying on behalf of Jesus and sharing the gospel. And those religious leaders, those same religious leaders who had put Jesus to death, are now hot on the trail of Stephen. And in that trial, we'll pick it up in verse 51. Stephen has some harsh words, some direct words that I'm sure helped. Stoke the fire a little bit. So listen, he says, You men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, and you're always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Not only did your fathers persecute the prophets, you are following in their footsteps because you killed the Messiah, the righteous one. Verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the, the right hand of God. But they, the crowd, the, the religious leaders, they cried out with a loud voice and they covered their ears and they rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they continued, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, Stephen cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. He died in that moment. Church, in Jesus and in Stephen, the follower of Jesus, the prayer of forgiveness... The prayer of forgiveness when it would be so easy to, to throw rocks, when it would be so easy to, to commit ourselves to revenge, when it would be so easy to call down the wrath of God against people. In Jesus and Stephen, what we discover is that the prayer of forgiveness is also a prayer of redemption and a prayer of salvation. You see, Jesus said that we are to love our enemies we are to love those and to pray for those who would persecute us, those who would come against us, those who would abuse and misuse us, those who would sin against us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor in World War II Nazi Germany, who ultimately lost his life in a prison cell, he said, when we pray for our enemies, we are taking their guilt and their perdition upon us, and we are pleading to God for them. We are saying, God, I will, I will take their sin that they're heaping upon me and I will own that and, and I want to pray for them that, that you wouldn't hold them accountable for that and I pray for their forgiveness and I pray for their salvation. You see, in the prayer of forgiveness, though, we don't ultimately carry that burden. We don't ultimately carry that sin, but rather, we pass that sin on to the Father. We say, God, forgive them of this, this sin. God, you have forgiven me. You have given me so much. And now that they don't know what they're doing. And I offer 
And I ask your forgiveness, your redemption in their lives, even as they come against me, even as they hurt and put me to death. And what we discover is that our suffering on behalf of those that would sin against us is not for the sake of suffering alone. We're not people that say, well, bring it on, bring it on, and let me suffer more. But rather, when we experience suffering at the hands of others, we do so for the sake of their redemption and their salvation. You see, we have a couple of choices, right? We can, we can bear that and we can push that down as we saw in, in Forrest Gump in the movie of Jenny and we can allow that to erupt within us one day. Understanding and realizing that, that when people sin against us, if we harbor that and we hold that within us, that it breeds bitterness and anger and it breeds hatred and it brings violence. And at some point it's going to erupt. We remember that the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. And whenever there's sin in our lives, whenever there's sin in our relationships, it always results in some form and type of death emotionally, relationally, and yes, even sometimes physically. And so when people sin against us, we can, we can harbor that and we can react out of that in a vengeful, spiteful way. Or... We can hand that up to the Lord and say, Father, instead forgive them. As these rocks are pounding me, I ask your grace and your love and your forgiveness on behalf of others. Jesus reminded us that in this world we will have trouble. In this world we will have enemies. In this world we will have people who persecute us and come against us. And how many of us would, would believe the, 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 the lie that says, well, if you give your life to Jesus, then everything's going to go great. You'll never have another trouble or problem the rest of your life. And yet Jesus reminds us that we will experience trouble and pain and persecution in this world. Our suffering and our forgiving of others is not a giving over to sin and a giving over to evil in this world, but rather, when we forgive someone who has sinned against us, when we take the initiative to forgive someone else, it is a radical response. It is a radical strategy to overcoming evil with goodness. Listen to how Paul puts this in Romans 12. He says, Persevering in tribulation, be devoted to prayer. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never take your own revenge. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some of you are, are World War II historians and buffs. And of course, one of the great tragedies and horrific things of, of World War II was the Nazi concentration camps. The Ravensbrück concentration camp, there was an estimated 92,000 men, women, and children that were murdered by the Nazis during that time. There's the story of a note uh, on a wrapper 
Actually, it was a prayer that was discovered on a wrapper next to a child who had died due to the, the conditions and the, the horrific conditions of that place. And it picks up on this theme. Imagine this being the prayer of a people who are being victimized, who are being murdered daily and constantly. Listen to the prayer that drew strength and courage for these people. O Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not only remember the suffering that they have inflicted on us, remember the fruits that we bought. Thanks to this suffering, our comradeship, our loyalty, our humility, the courage, the generosity, the greatness of heart which has, flown, which has grown out of this sin and tragedy. And when they come to judgment... Let all of the fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. Can you imagine suffering this kind of torture, this kind of deprivation, this kind of murder, and the prayer that brought strength to you and the prayer that brought strength to your community was God. May the fruits that have been born out of our struggle and out of our persecution and out of our deaths, may those fruits be the fruit that brings about the forgiveness of those who have sinned against us. You see, the prayer of forgiveness is the opportunity that each one of us have to break the curse and the consequence of sin and of evil. To break the curse and the cycle of death, not only in our own lives, but in the generations of our family. Forgiveness offers a power to transform and a power to change not only our lives, but the lives of those who would come against us. Let's go back to the cross, and let's look at the power of forgiveness on the cross. Remember those soldiers? Well, the Gospel tells us that before Jesus' death, that the centurion confessed that surely this man was the Son of God. The Scripture tells us that one of the thieves on the cross looked over to Jesus and said, Would you remember me when you come into your paradise, your kingdom? We know that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were part of the religious establishment of the day. Very much probably participant and present in the, 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 the trial of Jesus. And it's the two of them that come out of the darkness and go before Pilate and say, can we have the body of Jesus to care for Him and to nurture Him and His body as He has died on the cross? Peter and the disciples who had forsaken Him, who had denied Him, who had scattered to all parts, we find them again gathered together, ministering and loving each other. And when Jesus is resurrected, receiving His gift of grace and forgiveness, and those eleven disciples changing the world, and their influence and impacts continues to change the world today. 
as we move to the story of Stephen, we see Saul there collecting the coats of those who were throwing the rocks. I'm sure encouraging them along the way. And I can't help but believe that Stephen calling out to his Lord and saying, God, do not hold this sin against them, that that couldn't have planted a seed and that couldn't have began to start something in, in Saul's life that we read about in a couple of chapters later where on the road to Damascus he has an encounter with Christ and his life is changed forever as he receives the forgiveness of God and becomes the leading Christian missionary of his day, transforming the world in which he lives. You see, forgiveness has a power to change the world, has a power to change lives. So will we choose revenge and violence and throwing rocks? Or will we choose the gift of forgiveness? Let me close. with a reference to a book that some of you may be familiar with, a book by Henry Nouwen called The Wounded Healer. Nouwen writes this passage to priests, to, to ministers, and, and what he begins to say is that, that really we can only be effective in ministering to others when we acknowledge and recognize our own woundedness. And when we recognize our own woundedness, our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, and we, we experience the redemption of Christ, that we can begin then to be a part of the healing of others. Thus, the, the wounded healer. And it's true for not just ministers, it's true for all of us. It's true for all that call the name of Christ, that we must first understand and embrace and own and identify our own woundedness, our own brokenness, the hurt and the pain that we've experienced against others, the hurt and the, the pain that we've experienced towards ourselves. And then he goes on and kind of develops this other idea too of the healing wounded. In recognizing and acknowledging our own woundedness, that we are being healed, that we are always in the process of being healed. And therefore we are the healing wounded. We are wounded but we are always in the process of being healed. Healing begins with forgiveness. Healing begins with the acknowledgement and the, the understanding that, that I have been hurt, that I have been broken, that you have sinned against me. And yet instead of wishing death back to you, instead of wishing revenge upon you, instead of throwing rocks at you, I'm going to offer grace. I'm going to offer forgiveness. I'm going to offer the opportunity for resurrection. For new life to come out of that. For healing to begin to take place. But it can only happen when we acknowledge and begin with our own woundedness. You've, you've all been there before. Someone would come and say, hey, would you forgive me? And your response would be, oh, don't worry about it. It was nothing. That's not forgiveness, is it? Because forgiveness acknowledges that, that, that I've been wounded, that I've been hurt, that you have sinned against me, and that that sin has caused some kind of death in my heart and in my, my soul and in my mind and in my relationships. And so when you come to, to, to seek forgiveness... I've got to acknowledge that first. And then to say, instead of death, I 
offer grace in return. I offer forgiveness in return. For we're all wounded healers. The offender also has a role as well. The offender in saying, would you forgive me, has to acknowledge that they've hurt the other person. That they've caused real pain and brokenness in the life of someone else. They have to come and say, you know what, I have sinned against you and and I'm sorry about that and I am broken and wounded that I have hurt you. And so the offender must acknowledge and admit their guilt and their sin. They must recognize the hurt and the pain they've caused in someone else. And then they must begin to make amends where they can. And then they must move forward in an act of repentance. You see, forgiveness, and and listen to this carefully, forgiveness is not permission for other people to hurt you and sin against you. Okay? And that's why in in true forgiveness, there's an act of repentance as well. When, when, when I offer to forgive you, it doesn't mean you can continue to abuse me and to hurt me. That moves us into reconciliation. And reconciliation takes, takes both parties. And even sometimes then, reconciliation, depending on the circumstances, may or may not be possible. But forgiveness, and that journey of forgiveness is. And the journey of forgiveness takes one. Because sometimes the other person's not at that place but I can offer forgiveness and I can ask for forgiveness. It's amazing the number of people who harbor bitterness and anger towards someone else that's totally clueless that you're harboring something against them. And it's destroying you and it's tearing you down and they're living life carefree because they're totally unaware. And what it means and what it takes is that we've got to confess, we've got to share, we've got to to offer that gift of forgiveness. Because if we don't, it'll tear us apart and it'll tear us down. So this morning, as we consider the prayers of Scripture, as we consider these prayers in the Gospel of Luke, we're reminded to offer the prayer, as Jesus did, as Stephen did, Father, forgive them. Maybe the first prayer that we need to offer is the Father, forgive me. Father, I receive your gift of forgiveness through Christ. When Jesus cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them, he was talking about me. God, forgive me, I receive your gift of forgiveness. If, if you've never received that grace, then maybe today you could. And once we receive that grace, it's an invitation for us to be a wounded healer. And to begin the life journey of offering grace and forgiveness to those who come against us. Let's pray.